Judges chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 12. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent a away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they saith, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. And they tarried till they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried, and passed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Serath. And it came to pass, when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the forge of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, 
and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. Now, my text tonight is taken from Judges chapter 3, verse 20. It reads as follows. And Ehud came unto him as he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. Now, I have simply entitled this message, I have a message from God unto thee, the words of the text. Now, these words were uttered by Ehud to King Eglon of the Moabites as he sat in his summer parlor in the city of Jericho. For the past 18 years, the Moabites had ruled over the land of Israel. For 18 years, the children of Israel were servants to the Moabites. For 18 years, they had to bring certain presents year on year and pay the tribute. And the tribute would either be in gold or silver or in produce or cattle, grain, oil, perfumes, etc. See, I believe tonight one of the key verses in the book of Judges is this. In Judges 21 and verse 25, and we read these particular words. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when you read the book of Judges carefully, you'll discover a repeated cycle. The children of Israel forsook the Lord and forgot him and his law. They sinned against him. And as a result, they ended up in bondage and servitude to some heathen king. And the Lord allowed the enemy to defeat them and to conquer them for a time. Listen to these words, Judges 3, verses 12 through to 14. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and they went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Now get the picture. And then after this 18-year period of time had passed, the children of Israel recognized their sin their wrongdoing. They repented of it. They cried out to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. They desired help of the Lord. And in mercy, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Look at verse 15. It says, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Now, sadly and regrettably, this was a repeated cycle. This cycle continued for many years. In fact, it involved many generations. Part of the problem was that when the children of Israel entered the land of promised inheritance before and after Joshua's death, they failed to remove and root out all of their enemies. Their enemies were allowed and permitted to... Uh, at times to attack their borders and their territory. And they invaded parts of the land for a period of time. See, the failure of the children of Israel to conquer them all was a real failure. Listen to chapter 3 and verse 5. 
It says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, and Amorites, and Perizzites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. Six peoples are mentioned. And then what they did was, they started to intermarry and mingle among these people. Listen to verse 6. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their gods. Listen to verse 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. And what was the result of this sin, this evil, this idolatry? God judged them. And God punished them and used the very existing nations to do it. Now when we come to Judges chapter 3 verse 15, we discover that after prayer and crying to the Lord for mercy... He raised up a deliverer, a judge by the name of Ehud. He was the second judge. He was the second appointed deliverer of God's people. And he was appointed the deliverer of God to deliver a message to Eglon after 18 years of servitude and bondage. He faithfully delivered that message. It was a message of personal judgment and death. After he delivered the message, he escaped from the city of palm trees. He blew a trumpet in Mount Ephraim. He gathered the men of Israel together. They fought with the Moabites. 10,000 of the Moabites were slaughtered at the Jordan. And the land we read in Judges 3 and 30 had rest for the next 80 years. Four score years is 80 years. 20 multiplied by four. Now think of this text. I have a message from God unto thee. First of all, think about the divinity of the message. Underline the word God. A message from God. Recently I seen a YouTube video. A man by the name of Jordan Peterson, who's a Canadian professor... And he was asked a question, and the question was this, do you believe in God? And he answered, well, that, that's a difficult question. What do you mean by God? Which God? Are you talking about the God of Islam, called Allah? Are you talking about the God of the Buddhas, called Buddha? Are you talking about the God of the pagans? Now, of course, if we were thinking about the God of the pagans, we could mention Cernanus. He's a God that's worshipped in witchcraft. This is the heathen deity that the Lisburn Castlereagh Borough Council have erected in Hillsborough Forest Park that's caused a lot of disquiet. And we have had a meeting with council representatives on Thursday and they've given us assurance that there will be a review of the erection of this heathen deity. A Dr. Bob Curran, a former lecturer at the Ulster University, who's the author of many folklore books, he said, and I quote, he was taken aback by this statue. Jordan Peterson mentioned which God? The God of Islam, the God of Buddha, the God of pagans, or is it the God of the Bible? You see, when, when Ehud said to Eglon, I have a message from God for you, he was thinking about the God of the Bible. He was thinking about the living and the true God. 
in the beginning God. And in the Hebrew, there's an afna, which means to pause. Think about him, ponder him. Who is he? He's the one living in true God. He's the one who's self-existent. Moses prayed, Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. In our shorter catechism, we're asked the question, what is God? And here's the answer. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. A God who's creator and maker. A God upon whom the children of men are dependent. Because he's the God in whose hand their breath is. For in him they move and live in a being. This God daily loads men and women with benefits. He gives life to all, man and beast. And not only are they dependent on him, but they're accountable to him. And one day they'll stand before him. And you see, I hear the calls today, but I don't believe in God. I deny that God exists. I'm an atheist. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. It was the psalmist David who said, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. And you see, here's the reality. The first thing that I learned from this text of Scripture is that there is a God in heaven with whom men and women have to do. And he's a good God, because the Bible says the Lord is good. He's a loving God, because the Bible says God is love. Two times, 1 John 4, 7 to 17. God is love. A holy, pure love. He's a holy God who hates sin and loves righteousness. He's a just God. He's a God of wrath who, according to his holy justice and true righteousness, must punish sin. And yet, how many live without him tonight? How many live in defiance of him? How many live in rebellion? Almost like Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey him? We were in the open air yesterday. We had a gospel witness at the corner of Waring Street. There was others who had an open-air witness at City Hall, and we thank God for them. But I'm sure that they, like us, had loads of abuse hurled at them. Mockery, blasphemy. You see, I listened recently to a little video clip by a man called Joe Kirby, who's also an open-air preacher in England. And the clip was of people mocking him, people shouting abuse at him. People offering their profanities and blasphemy. People who are refusing to hear. People who are refusing to accept the evidence of the word of God. There was those giving out tracts yesterday. We thank God for them. Brother Ivor was one of them. And yet I saw people take the tracts out of the hand of those who were distributing the tracts and put them straight into the bin. See, the devil was at work. Why were people mad? Why are they shouting abuse? Because the God of this world had blinded their eyes. We read over there in the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in the uh, verse 4, uh, listen to these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is the image of God, should shine unto them. And yet the reality is, the God of the Bible exists. The God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible speaks. He is speaking. 
And he speaks in words and he speaks in action. So there's the first thing I learned from the text. I have a message from God unto thee, the divinity of the message. God exists, God is speaking. Notice secondly, here was the second thing that come to me. I didn't preach this yesterday. The delivery of the message. I have a message from God. Now, who uttered these words? They were uttered by Ehud. He was the channel. He was the appointed agent to deliver the message. The Lord raised up a deliverer. The word deliverer means a savior. One who saves. A deliverer of the people of God raised up to save them from their enemies. But Ehud was not only a savior, but he was also a judge. He was one full of a spirit of wisdom and spirit of discernment. Someone sent me a text last week. Maybe it was a WhatsApp. And it was part of a sermon by John MacArthur in the United States of America. I think the sermon was entitled Strange Fire. And someone asked him recently, what is the biggest problem in the church? And here's the answer. Here's what John MacArthur said. The absence of discernment. And that applies to the free church. That, that applies to the church of the firstborn in Northern Ireland. John went on to say, if you can't discern the truth with the word of God in your hand, you could die a thousand heresies. And isn't the church of Jesus Christ dying a thousand heresies because there's the absence of the spirit of discernment? He said you could die a thousand heresies. It's, it's like having spiritual aids. People who have a deficient immune system could die of a thousand illnesses. And the church can die of a thousand heresies if it can't exercise discernment. And here's this man, Ehud, and he's a deliverer. He's a judge with a spirit of wisdom and discernment. He knows how to get at Ehud or Eglon, the king of Moab. Ehud faithfully delivered the message of God to the chief oppressor of God's people. Who was the chief oppressor of God's people? Eglon, king of the Moabites. He discerned who the number one enemy is. And he, he had discernment of how to deal with the enemy. I want you to think of Ehud. He's a savior. He's a judge. A man with a message. A man on a mission. And Ehud, I believe, is a powerful picture, ultimately, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It points to him. But it's also a picture of every true preacher of the gospel. You see, the Lord gave this man a message, and the messenger had to faithfully deliver it. Not his ideas, not his notions, not the church's teaching, but faithfully deliver God's message. And sadly today, many preachers have no message for the people. Sometimes we have to attend funerals, other times we have to attend weddings. Times I'm at orange services and anniversary services. And we discover, sadly, there's a failure to preach the word. The, the, the people who leave do not go with a word from God. They might get nice little stories, something that will tickle their ears, something about growing plants and riding bicycles. But, but there's no preaching of Christ. There's no preaching of the whole counsel of God. Remember Paul says, I am free from the blood of all men. 
free from the charge of blood guiltiness. How? I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, 27. Paul suffered hardship, I believe, as a result. No doubt he lost friends. No doubt family were upset at his preaching. No doubt people even withheld finance from the man of God. Why? Because preachers of the word are not popular. They weren't popular in Paul's day. They're not popular today. And yet Paul could say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And despite the hardship and despite the mockery and the perversity, despite being despised and rejected, to faithfully deliver the message of God. We hear today calls to preach a positive message. Just preach about the love of God. Tell them that God is love, but don't mention sin. Don't mention hell, eternal punishment, judgment to come, the wrath of God. Don't call people to repent of their sin. That's their business. That's their lifestyle. You have no right to interfere. We have heard these things. It's interesting that in the 1800s, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, warned of days to come. And this is what he said. Men will preach without the power and unction of the Holy Ghost. There'll be dry intellectual preaching. There'll be high-sounding words. But it'll be meaningless. It'll be powerless. They'll preach a Christianity devoid of Christ. They'll preach about forgiveness without repentance. They'll preach a message of salvation without the need of the new birth and regeneration. It'll be a works-based salvation, depending on oneself, depending on the church. Preach about heaven, but never preach about hell. Preach about deliverance, but never a spirit of discernment between truth and error, right and wrong, good and evil. That day has come. And I want to say tonight... I believe the Lord has entrusted me as pastor of this church with his message. Uh, my job, my responsibility is to preach the word, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, to be faithful to God in season and out of season. I have a tremendous responsibility. I need your help and prayers to proclaim the word. We have a tremendous responsibility to publish that word to all who will hear it, to put that word forward. Remember, Isaiah says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Let me just tell you about Ehud. He was a saved man. He was a most unlikely character, a Benjamite. Do you know that the word Benjamin means son of the right hand? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Where was Jericho, the city of palm trees? In the territory of Benjamin. That's where Eglon set up his headquarters. That's where he had his summer parlor. Oh, he had his winter palace, but he had his summer parlor in the city of palm trees. If you actually think about the text of Scripture, it says there um, about the uh, quarries, it, it says this. Verse 19, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. You see, he not only was a saved man, but he was a stirred man. It mentions there the quarries by Gilgal. And see, when you think of a quarry, you think of stonemasons, you think of uh, cutting out stone, and you, you think of building objects. 
But, but I want you to think of something else. I want you to think of these quarried stones being used to set up idols. Idols being made by the quarries in Gilgal. Set up there. And I asked the question, as he come by Gilgal for 18 years and thought about the quarries and the making of the idols, was the Lord stirring his heart? Was the Lord directing him? Was the Lord moving him? He saw the idols and he hated it. And this stirred man became a serving man. He, he, he was a willing individual. He was no doubt praying, Lord, use me. This man, I believe, had a desire for the honor and glory of God. A man whose heart was stirred. A man who was sighing and crying to the Lord. Listen to what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 9 and verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Ehud was a man who sighed and cried. He was like this. A man with a plain, pointed message of death and judgment. And here's a question for us tonight. Do we get stirred up by the abominations that are in our land? Are we bothered? Are we stirred? Are we moved at all by what is happening in our wee country in these days? I think of the words of Leviticus 18 and 22. It says this, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. That's only one abomination in the land. There's others. Abortion. Murder that has taken place. It's abominable in the sight of God. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. But are we stirred? We, we say we're saved. And it's right, I believe, that many of us are. But are we stirred up? Is there a willingness? Lord, use me. I want to tell you something else. He was a spiritually minded man. Because he was a man with a disability. He was a left-handed man. You know what that means? It means he was shut of his right hand. He had no use of his right hand. Whether uh, he was born with this disability or whether as a result of an accident, uh, he, he lost his right hand. He had no power or use of his right hand. He was a left-handed man. Very few people are skilled with the use of the left hand. There were 700 Benjamites who were skilled in the use of the left hand. Ehud was a left-handed man, a man with a disability. And yet that's the very man the Lord used because he was spiritually minded. Saved, stirred up and spiritually minded and willing to serve the Lord. Who's the people that the Lord uses? Robert Murray McShane said, it's not great talents God uses, but it's great likeness to Christ. The Lord uses people with infirmities, with ill health, people who are blind like Fanny Crosby, people with speech impediment. He doesn't use perfect individuals. He uses those that are saved and stirred, spiritually minded, willing to serve him fully and totally committed. I'm all for education. I have no problem with those that have degrees. But I remember back in days of faith mission, 
Remember the late Colin Peckham saying, you can come into this college and you could have a head full of knowledge. You could have a mouth full of words. But you could have a heart that's empty. And many who have degrees in education, their heart is empty. Where's the zeal? Where's the passion? Where's the burning love? Where's the sighing, the crying before the Lord? Is it not marked by absence? And yet the Bible tells us there in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in the verse 26, we read these particular words. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. There's the delivery of the message. The third thing I want to say, and very quickly, is the decipherability of the message. I have a message. So we'll underline the word message. And if we asked the Lord, if he was to come to Northern Ireland, what would you say to the people of the Northern Ireland? And I believe it would be this. Listen to me carefully. Recognize your sin. What is sin? Sin is anyone to conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It's the Lord who defines sin. Not only does he hate sin, but he defines sin. You see, the Ten Commandments was given to show us our sinfulness. When we, when we think about the Ten Commandments in thought and word and deed, we're all guilty before God. Sin is the transgression of the law. Knowing to do good and doing it not, it is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. All unbelief is sin. Not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength is sin. It's not the church that defines sin. It's not the clergy. It's not the congregation. It's the Lord. Remember what we read there in the Gospel of Mark. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. When do we sin? We sinned in Adam. Romans 5 and 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, comes short of the glory of God. The first transgression of Adam was put to our account, because we were in his loins. Additional guilt for every sin of thought, word, and deed. And a polluted heart, a heart that loves sin. Remember, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful, and above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And God would say, recognize your sin. He would say something else, repudiate your sin. Are you truly sorry for your sin? Do you see sin for what it is? Have you ever come and said, Lord, I've sinned against you? Sinned against heaven and in your sight? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Is there a hatred for sin in your heart? Is there a spirit of brokenness? Do, do you sigh because of your sin? The third thing is this, he would say, is repent of your sin. Because the Bible says God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And that means not only truly sorry for it, but sorry enough to quit. Turn ye, turn ye, why will ye die? Turn from your evil ways. Did the Lord not begin his ministry with his call to repentance? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did you not end this ministry that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem and going out to all nations? Isn't that what's missing today? 
Oh, we'll preach about this, that, and the other, but, but don't talk about repentance. Don't mention people's sin. In the decipherability of this message, there's another thing. There's rebellion and sin. And that's where Eglon was, king of Moab. 18 years he had reigned over the children of Israel. And he'd failed to recognize his sin, repudiate his sin. He gloried in it. He loved it. He enjoyed it. He, there was a failure to repent. He lived in rebellion for those 18 years. He was an enemy of God's people. He, he was an oppressor of God's people. And that day he heard a message, and the message was of death and judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, And Al is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing when the Lord himself comes and says, Depart from me, ye cursed, ye worker of iniquity, and their everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Folks, there's a day of judgment coming. Can you think of those who live in sin with a spirit of rebellion? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Young people, boys and girls, men and women throughout our province tonight. There's a day of judgment coming. There's a God of wrath who hates their sin. And God has given many up. That day has come. The decipherability of the message. One final thing. The designability of the message. This was a planned message. I believe Ehud was planning it. For 18 years, he turned often past those quarries. He saw those idols, and his heart was stirred. They're set up in the city of palm trees. They're spreading throughout Israel. It was a powerful message of death and judgment. It was a pointed message. You know what he had? Even though he was a man with a disability, he designed this dagger. A two-sided blade, 18 inches long. He slipped it into his right thigh. So when he was searched by the soldiers, what, what is a, a man who hasn't got the use of his right hand? He's going to be no threat to the king. Let, let him pass there. Don't be searching that man. And yet he went in with a present to Eglon. Eglon, of course, as the Bible says, was a fat man. He had a love for fleshly things, fleshly appetites. He was a man of the world. Uh, and... and uh, Ehud said, I have a message from God to thee. Something I can only tell you alone, in secret. Just you and me. And is that dagger not a picture of the word of God? Do we not read in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? Listen to what the scripture says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This was not only a planned message, and powerful, and pointed, because a pointed dagger was used to go right into the belly of this uh, uh, wicked king. But it was a powerful message, or, or, or a personal message. I have a message from God unto thee. You see, Eglon was alone with the judge. One who could have been his saviour and deliverer. But one who exercised the office of judge that day. And Eglon died in the place of the curse. Died as he lived. 
And through Ehud, God wrought a great victory. The Moabites' servitude was thrown off. And the land of Israel had rest for 80 years. You think of the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You think of who he is. He stands as a saviour. He's the great judge of all. And yet when he come as a saviour, he offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. He shed his blood in Calvary's tree. The message goes out, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you recognize your sin as a lost sinner, and repudiate that sin, and repent of it, and receive Christ as Lord and Saviour, you're given the assurance of peace with God, a full and free pardon. You, you, you know that Christ has become your saviour, and you have the assurance of heaven and home. We say, why not repent? Don't remain in rebellion because a day of death and judgment awaits you. When you'll stand before the judge, you'll be alone and you'll be sentenced for all eternity in that awful place the Bible calls hell. I have a message from God for thee. The divinity, it's God's message. The delivery, Ehud was only a channel. A man who was saved but sighed. A man who served was spiritually minded. The decipherability of the message is connected to sin and the call of judgment. And the design was delivered to bring about deliverance. Will you be delivered tonight? Because he is able to deliver thee.